What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Woke Pastor Podcast. It's so good to have you all tuning in. Um, Today, I am Taylor. And I'm Matt. And we just want to welcome you back again for the second part uh, of like a mini-series that we started uh, to kind of get our podcast up and rolling. But being young pastors, we know that's not something that's super normal in the world of of the church. And so uh, this is our our second uh, episode on this podcast of questions that people might have for young pastors. But before we get there, Matt's got some really important information to tell you guys. All right, guys. So I uh, just want to, as always, remind you about where to find out more information about what pastors or social media handles, things like that. Um, obviously, the first place to go is wokepastors.com. That's our website. Um, we'll be posting blog posts, podcasts, all sorts of new things there. Um, You can also find us on Facebook. Just search Woke Pastors. You'll find our Facebook page. Our Twitter and Instagram handles are both at Woke Pastors. And uh, then also, if you're interested in some Woke Pastors swag with our awesome logo on it, head over to Etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Woke Pastors, and you can pick up some stuff there. Um, But with that, we're going to get today's uh, podcast started. Um, Taylor, one thing that... uh, I think comes up a lot, um, not just with young pastors, but with student pastors. Um, You know, a lot of people are uh, kind of struck by the fact that that people are able to uh, pastor and lead churches and also uh, be in school, and uh, that's something that we both have experience with. So why don't you uh, lead off um, with that discussion? Give us some, some insights about that. Yeah, absolutely. So especially uh, in in our denomination, in the United Methodist Church, they require clergy or pastors to be educated. And so you either have to have a master's degree, which um, would be a master's of divinity for us. And it's not your typical master's degree being most of the time it's either 72 or 91 hours long. Yeah. Um, And so or you have to do course of study. And so either way, if you have a fairly new minister in your church, like they're going to be in, in some kind of schooling. Um, and so ministry is one of those things that's really hard, I think, to combine with schooling because in all reality, there's no such thing as a part-time minister. Right. Like I think I, I, the, the time considerations is more to determine your pay. You know, you can't be like, you know, this is my Friday night. If someone gets hurt or if someone goes to the hospital, like I'm not going to be their pastor today. I'm off. This is my night off. Um, and so it can be really tricky um, to make time for both school and ministry, especially if you're full-time in your master's work. And being uh, at Asbury, where we both are, and being almost a full year in uh, now, I think it, time management has been something that I've had to learn the hard way. Yeah, absolutely. And like I started pastoring when I was still in my undergrad at Lindsey Wilson um, I hadn't actually um, gotten into my master's program yet. And so the course load that I started with balancing with uh, my pastoral ministry was a lot lighter than what I'm dealing with now. But that also 
um, helped me to sort of ease into it. You know, I got to learn it, you know, a piece at a time instead of just trying to start um, start going into ministry and start a master's degree all at the same time. I got to kind of ease into it um, because of my experience at Lindsay. But still, you know, like Taylor said, there's, you know, there's a phrase I've heard thrown around a lot. It's like full-time minister, part-time salary. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's that's definitely how it feels sometimes. Yep. Um, I, w- I will say, you know, as, as part-time ministers and as student ministers, I think we have a lot less on our plate, especially having the size of congregations that we do, um, than some, some ministers, especially ones of larger congregations. Um, but there are a lot of times when things are just as busy. You know, Taylor and I mm-hmm. were just talking before the podcast. This is... Um, I don't know when you guys will be listening to this, but this is the Tuesday after Easter this year. And so we were just talking about what our Easter schedules look like. And, you know, for me, you know, I I had a Maundy Thursday service and then a Community Good Friday service and then an egg hunt on Saturday. And then Sunday we had an Easter sunrise service and an Easter service and a breakfast in between. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then I had lunch with my family and did an egg hunt after the Easter service. And so, I mean, by the time my family left on Easter Sunday, like I was beat, like I was just ready to pass out. Um, and I mean, even, I, I even took a nap between the sunrise service and the regular service. Man, good for you. Um, yeah. Cause there's just so much going on. And so, um, while there may be times when we have less on our plate, there are definitely times when we can stay just as busy, um, as other pastors. And so time management, like Taylor said, is really big, um, into making that doable for you because um, you have to you have to be proactive. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm somebody who likes putting things off. You know, I, I'm a, a notorious procrastinator, um, but I've had to really fight against that because um, you know if you it, it's not it's not the same as just going to school when you can put stuff off and then at the last minute you can just do it and be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens when you're at the last minute and you've got to get this stuff done and someone's in the hospital or, you know, somebody passes away, something like that. You have to yep. have, you know, space in your schedule for things like that to come up so that you can uh, deal with those things. That's exactly right. And I think um, it, it, coming from the other side of that, I am a person who loves to plan. So I plan out everything that I do in advance and you know I start I break down how many pages of a book that I need to read, you know, like months in advance so I don't get overwhelmed, but at the same time I've had to learn to put and this is going to sound terrible. So all you pastors out there or all you uh, parishioners, please don't judge me for this, but I've had to put off sermon writing until the end of the week and and, and really not give it all that I would love to just because there's schoolwork that I have to get done through the week. Yeah. And there, I have to be more pastor uh, throughout the week rather than just preacher on the weekends. And so um, there, it, it's kind of boiled down to where like I, I set aside a day or a day and a half and I just do sermon. Like that's all I do. And that's not how I like to operate. Um, but when you're a student and when you're in ministry, I mean, when you're a full-time student and, and working in, in really any profession, there are sacrifices that have to be made. Yeah, And so absolutely. I think... I think for congregations that have student pastors that have part-time ministers, I think what you lose between a part-time and a full-time pastor is you lose administration. Uh, And so I think the passion is there for us in preaching. The passion is there for our pastoral care. And we'll give all of ourselves to that. But in all reality, um, I mean, if if, if, if we're looking at 20 hours of ministry, 
and we sermon write and we do a Bible study and we do visits and we do things like that, there's not a lot of time left for administration and doing other kind of um, organizational tasks like that uh, in the church. What, what, what's your experience with that, Matt, and what you've had to cut out? Yeah, like one one thing that I that I've noticed is um, you know the concept of office hours. I think a lot of ministers have office hours where parishioners know you know I can come at this day at this time and yeah the, you know the pastor's going to be in his office working on stuff. You know I can talk to him if I need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not something I've ever been able to uh, nail down concretely. I don't know how that's been for you, but yeah. um, my office hours are as needed basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. you know. Um, which, as someone who doesn't like to plan and doesn't like to organize a whole lot, that that's nice for me. Yeah. Um, in a way, but it just you have to be really open to a fluid schedule because sometimes, um, you know, things are going to have to go by the wayside, and and it helps to have, you know, this is something we've hit on a lot in the in these two podcasts. It helps a lot to have a church that realizes what it means to have a student pastor absolutely um, respects that and embraces that and so you know they they understand that it's it's kind of like being a student athlete you know you Mm -hmm. have to be a student first yep um in in many respects because uh one of my one of my professors at Lindsay, our professors at Lindsay, um said that you know if you if you sacrifice your you know you're tempted because you're a pastor you have a pastoral heart you want to help people you want to serve people and minister to them. And so the temptation is to sacrifice your um, academic life so that you can be a better pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and while that may help your church now, that's going to inevitably hurt every church you serve in the future yep. because you're not taking your education um, as seriously as you can. So you really need to put your education first as much as you can. Mm-hmm. That's not always possible in all situations. Like we said, things come up. Yeah. Um, that just, but but to keep that from hurting your education, you just have to plan ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to work ahead. You have to um, prepare for those unexpected things that may that may hit you um, at different points. Absolutely, and I think a uh, one thing that's been really important for for me at, at Marabone and Grider is that I've been upfront about my schedule and kind of what's going on. And so like weeks where I have midterms or weeks where I have papers or weeks where I just have big assignments due, they kind of leave me alone. Mm-hmm. They, they kind of know what's going on. And so unless something absolutely needs my attention, they just kind of handle it and they just kind of deal with it. Um, and then I'll kind of find out about it later, which is really hard being the control freak that I am. Yeah. But I know that it's for my best interest. And like it's the way the church has loved me as their pastor. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, we, we've hit on communication a lot. I think mm-hmm. that keeping a good open line of communication with your church is important. You know, like Taylor and I both took um, intensive Greek in J-term this year, um, which was um, a blessing in some ways, but not most of them. <laughs> yeah. Most of the ways it was pretty... It was Very pretty, few ways. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was pretty awful. Um you know, to give you a taste of what that was like, you know, we were in class four days a week for the whole month of January just for Greek. Yeah. And um, for each time, for each day we were in class, we had not just the lecture, but we had what two quizzes and a test and yeah. 
um, you know, at least 10 pages of homework, sometimes more. Yeah, it was a week's worth of, of class for a day. Every day, right. Yeah. And so, you know, every week we had four tests, eight quizzes, all the all this homework to do. And I mean, we were just moving at such a fast pace um, that it was really it was really difficult to um, uh, think of anything besides Greek um, mm-hmm. during that time. And, um, you know, so... Our, our congregations, I think, were both pretty, they were all pretty understanding of that. Absolutely. Um, and gave us a lot of leeway with that. You know, my, my congregation let um, let us postpone Bible study for a little bit, mm-hmm. um, you know, until that was over so that I wasn't having to prepare for another thing yeah. on top of trying to get through Greek. And so it, it, hel- um, it helps to be in communication with them. And, you know, I think a lot of times they're, going to be willing to to make those sacrifices and to help you as best they can they probably want to mm-hmm. um, but they're not going to if you don't if you don't tell them how they can do that absolutely you know if you're not open with them about when times are tough and when when your schedule is is crammed then they're not going to know how to make it easier for you how to help you um, succeed as best you can that's exactly right but on the flip side of being in school and being in ministry there have been times where I've walked out of class and walked into Bible study and taught what I just learned yeah I mean as far as like the application uh, of what we're learning there's I would highly recommend being in some kind of ministry I mean definitely not full-time but some kind of ministry while going um, to school because it just adds an entirely different aspect of learning yeah you know it it's, does. it's directly hands-on Mm-hmm. As soon as you walk out of class, you start applying what you've learned, and that's been invaluable for me. Yeah, we've had professors in some of our classes who, um, you know, I remember Dr. Collins in church history, you know, just asked us one day, he was like, how does what we're learning apply to your context? And, you know, I immediately thought of a situation that was going on at my church right at that exact moment that something we'd learn in church history, of all things, had really applied to. Yeah. Um, and it really helped me to handle that situation in a way that I wouldn't have um, if it weren't for that class. And, you know, you, you know, you probably think, especially going into seminary, like things like church history aren't going to be that, <laughs> um, you know, that important and they aren't yeah. um, going to help you that much. But, you know, really anything that you learn in seminary, it seems like, um, can apply to your ministry context. You know, Absolutely. also... Taylor and I had IBS, inductive Bible study, with uh, Dr. Bauer on uh, the book of Matthew last fall, and I found myself preaching from the book of Matthew a lot, mm-hmm. and it wasn't just because, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want it to sound like it was because, like, oh, I'm, I'm reading this, so I'm not going to read anything else. You know, I was still in other stuff and everything, but we were just delving into it, and I was learning so much new stuff about it, yeah. I, I found, like, I wanted to share that with my congregation, um, that's often how my preaching um, happens anyway is I, I have a discovery moment with scripture and I've you know it teaches me something and I want yeah. to take my congregation on that same journey and help them have those same um, experiences with scripture. And so yeah, like the stuff you're learning can actually make ministry easier in some ways. you know it may it can make sermon writing and teaching uh, Bible study and different things um, easier in some respects because, um, you're you're just in such an intentional time of study, mm-hmm. um, basically because of school. Absolutely, but I mean one of one of the realities is is that we don't have our MDivs yet, and so we're not technically as qualified um, educationally as a lot of the ministers that are in church. You know, the people with the the grayer hair mm-hmm. and the people who have have been through this for a minute. So, Matt, would you speak to just a little bit 
uh, about how we're seen uh, in, in the big C church. And what I mean by that is, you know, the entire body of Christ, not necessarily our, our own congregations. Yeah. So, um, as young pastors, I think we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of zeal. We have a lot of excitement mm-hmm. and a lot of ideas about how things should be done. I think there are times when we, um, may even be seen as like the stereotypical young people who like have, feel like they have the answers to everything, but it's just because they haven't, they don't have the experience yet, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Um, and it can be difficult at times to be um, heard and respected at a universal church level, you know, at a mm-hmm. larger level. Um, maybe not necessarily because that's actually the way things are, but there yeah. can be people that just make it feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had, I've had experiences where there have been, you know, you know T- Taylor and I are both, we're both young guys. We both dress, you know, fairly casually most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we both have long hair at the moment, though. Um, mine's getting chopped off Thursday. He's copping out. Yeah, sorry. I <laughs> couldn't make it anymore. But, um, you know, there have been times when I think our physical appearances, um, you know, made people um, question us. There, I've actually heard of people who um, just made you know, other pastors who made derogatory comments about the way I was dressed at like annual conference and things. Yeah. Which, um, from a theological standpoint, from a doctrinal standpoint, you know, um, is baloney. (laughs) I mean, that stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have tattoos, doesn't matter if you have long hair. Um, if you have a, if you have a rockin' awesome beard like Taylor, that's right. Um, you know, if you're in jeans or if you're in a suit, you know, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're serving God and you're, um, you know, the, the best that you can be, then, you know, that's awesome. And it takes people of all kinds. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but I do think as young pastors, sometimes we have to, we have to go the extra mile to make sure that, um, we're heard and that we're respected. Yeah. Um, at the big C church level, like Taylor was saying, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because, um, the, the people who were there, the people who are in leadership in our church, they were in our shoes once. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and they put it, they've put in a lot of time and a lot of work to get where they are. And, um, you know, while we may have, uh, new ideas and new perspectives to bring to the table, there's also a lot to be said for that godly wisdom that they've built up over the years. Oh yes. And so I think it comes down to, you know, similar to in our last podcast when we talked about sort of young pastor relationship with um, older generations in our churches, Mm -hmm. that also applies to the older generations in our church leadership because, um, you know, there just needs to be a mutual respect. Absolutely. I think if we can show that, you know, we respect their leadership, we respect their wisdom, their knowledge, Mm -hmm. um, all they're coming from, that they're going to be a lot more open to um, receiving ideas and feedback and things from us. I think so too. I think you're exactly right, Matt. And I think the the other side of the coin is that, especially uh, in the United Methodist Church, and I think in 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 really the the Christian Church, the Big C Church in general, um, there are a lot of of elderly pastors that see the trends and that see you know they kind of see this mass exodus of younger people, and so they're willing to give us a lot more opportunities than sometimes I even think we're qualified for. So I remember in high school, uh, my my really first mentor and, and first pastor that I really connected with, besides my childhood pastor, um, was Reverend James Williams. And so James is now a district superintendent in our congregation. Uh, but when he was at Winchester First, where I kind of you know really started following Jesus and, and, and answered my call to ministry, um, he would throw me in the pulpit like once every three months. 
And I was like a 16, 17-year-old kid. I, I mean, some of the craziest stuff came out of my mouth. And there was no way I was qualified to be preaching. I mean, this was a, a substantially large church. You know, we're a pretty good-sized church. Uh, and there's no way I was qualified to be in that position. But at the same time, he knew that he needed to invest in younger people and yeah. younger leaders. And I think there's a lot of people in our denomination that are willing to roll the dice on us because of that, because we're young, because we see Christianity differently than I think the people before us. We see it much more hands-on, and we're we're much more willing to get our hands dirty, and they know that our denomination, that really America, needs that. And so they're willing to take more chances on us. Yeah, and I think like a lot of... A lot, like you said, a lot of people are going to be more open to um, our perspectives, um, especially than like other professions. I think yeah. um, you know, while it is important to put in the time and put in the hours um, to get where we need to be and to get our education and things like that. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's as much um, as much push to uh, pay our dues, mm-hmm. so to speak, as there may be in uh you know more secular professions because like you said people see that um the church needs needs young leadership the church needs to grow um things like that and so um we really we just need to look at church from a new perspective you know something that um you you know we need to take new view new viewpoints and new ideas of doing church yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of times that, you know, some of our more experienced leaders are just open to seeing young people come in and do that. And like you said, they've seen so many young people leave the church mm-hmm. um, and they see such a vacuum as far as um, younger people in the church. And so I, I've, I've experienced a lot of um, both older lay people and older ministers just be uh, overjoyed to see yeah. young young pastors um, stepping up to the plate and wanting to uh, take over the mantle of of leadership in the church and in our denomination. Um, and so that's been really encouraging. I think that a lot of them really see it as something that's valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, sometimes they probably put us in positions that we're not exactly ready for yet. Yeah. Um, I probably wasn't wasn't as ready as I should have been to start <laughs> pastoring when I did, you know. So I mean, you could probably say that about about the fact that I started then. Sometimes I still don't feel like I'm yeah um, I'm quite as qualified as I should be. Um, but but these are awesome learning opportunities, and it's great to be able to um, uh, to begin leading and growing as a leader, definitely, and as a, and as a pastor in the in the church at this time, definitely. Um, but yeah, there, there, there are perspectives I think we bring to the table, um, that whether people appreciate it or not, you know, there have been some people who I think, um, don't, don't appreciate younger people's viewpoints as much as they maybe should. But for the most part, um, I think people look to us. There was a time at Lindsay Wilson, um, they had their church college day, which is the day they have every year where they invite ministers and stuff to come, and they celebrate the church-college relationship mm-hmm. uh, that Lindsey Wilson has as being a United Methodist, um, you know, college. And I was I was at the pastor luncheon there, which was you know kind of kind of weird because <laughs> I I was still a student there at the time. Yeah. Um, but I was at the pastor <laughs> luncheon at church college day, and we had this time where we broke up into small groups and we handled some. Uh, we, we just kind of discussed some questions together to get us to get us thinking was kind of an exercise that they did. 
And um, the question that was posed to us was, where are the next generation of our church's leaders? Yeah. And um, I, I think one person said they're working on their testimony. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I won't say who that was. I don't want to incriminate them. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, and it's probably true of a lot of our future I'm church sure, leaders. Yeah. Um, I'm still working on my testimony in some ways. <laughs> um, but uh, one, of the, one of the other people there said, you know, I would like to say that our future church leaders are in our youth groups and places like that. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily be the case. And then she turned to me. And she was like, you know, Matt, maybe you could speak to that for us. How did you manage to make it through youth group and, uh, you know, come to a Christian school and, you know, just sort of take on pastoral stuff and all that? And <laughs> I kind of made eye contact with, you know, my professor who's in the group. And she was like, I think just tell it like it is. And I said, well, it was easy. It was easy not to fall out of youth group because I wasn't in youth group. You know, <laughs> I was like, I... <laughs> You know, fell away from the church. You know, and I. Yeah. You know, I was a, I was away for um, you know quite a bit. You know, I was kind of on the outs with the church, and um, I didn't grow up Methodist. I didn't grow up in youth group. I, you know, I had some church experience when I was younger, but um, in a lot of ways, I was, um, you know, I, I could would have been considered unchurched really when I came to Lindsey Wilson. Yeah. And it was really at Lindsey Wilson College where I had those formational faith experiences and stuff. And so I think that, you know, that really opened us up to have a conversation about um, the effectiveness of our, of our, you know, kids and youth, children and youth ministry um, in our churches and um, how we're preparing the next generation to um, take over the church. Because um, if you look at most congregations um, age-wise, um, if you just move 50 years down the road, there's not a church yeah, or a very absolutely. small church um, if things don't change and if we don't um, if we don't begin to reach out in new ways. And so I think that's an important uh, thing to look at. Absolutely. And, um, you know, just because we're just because we're we're pastors and we're in our 20s um, does not mean I, I don't think Taylor or I, or I either one fit the mold of the type of person you'd expect to be in our position. No, yeah, <laughs> you know, no, we, absolutely not. You know, we were not the, the goody two-shoe Christian folks from cradle to grave kind of thing, you know. <laughs> um, we, we, we both have some pretty, some pretty rocky past experiences yeah. um, that have led us to this point. And I, I'd say we're both unlikely candidates for yeah. the place we're at today. Very but, you know, so. that's, just, uh, that's just a good portrait of what God can do. Absolutely, um, and how God can uh, can work in us and can redeem us, um, and I think it gives us a valuable perspective to bring to the wider church because we've been on the outside. Absolutely, in. absolutely, and I think you know this is kind of a side note. This is not where we planned on the podcast to to go, but I think this is really important. Part of one thing that Matt and I story both have in common is that the church found us in non traditional ways. Yeah, you know, like it's not normal for a church to find you in college. Mm-hmm. It's not normal for the church to find you in a celebrate recovery setting, and that be like you know when God really lights you on fire or or whatnot. Um, but I think that's really important for the church moving forward is that we we ha- kind of have to stop thinking traditionally, yeah, um, and start thinking more, be it missionally or whatever word you want to call, it, but like meeting people where they are. And the and the fact is, there's probably a lot of church leaders that aren't in our youth groups. And so how do we how do we connect with them and how do we find them? And I think that determines the future of the church in America, how well we address that question. 
Right. I mean, I think we could safely say they're they're not in our churches now. So yeah. where are they, and how can we get to them? Absolutely. Those are the things we need to be asking. Absolutely. Um, and the, this next thing we're gonna t- we're gonna talk about this is kind of our last topic for um, uh, things that we've dealt with as young pastors. Although, if there mm-hmm. are other questions you guys want us to address, um, feel free to uh, drop us a line. Let us know. We may address it in a later podcast. Um, and this is something of far less significance yeah. <laughs> than uh, the conversation we've been having about Absolutely. Um, where our future church leaders are. Um, but it's also it's also semi-related, which is uh, worship styles. Yeah, the battle for worship styles. Yeah, wow. you know, hymns versus contemporary uh-huh. and everything in between. And, um, you know, I, I, I thank God sometimes that I came into the church about 20 years after the the really the really rough worship wars For all were the fought. bloodshed yeah <laughs> like m- most of most of the blood that's been spilt over hymns versus contemporary was spilt years before um, I came into the picture um, and people are pretty open it seems to either mm-hmm. one now even though they may be begrudgingly open to it that's true that's um, very true uh, but uh, but as young pastors um, as young people. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we probably have more of a um, preference sometimes towards contemporary worship, mm-hmm. um, but not just musically, but just contemporary worship styles. Yeah. Um, through the throughout the whole service, um, than older generations might, and so I think that can potentially be a be a barrier when you're coming into a church, as they may be afraid that you don't. Uh, you're not going to like their hymns. Yeah. Uh, that you're not going to respect their hymns. That you're going to try and change everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Taylor and I pastor fairly traditional services mm-hmm. or churches, um, worship-wise, um, in many regards. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't I don't know that they were worried about us, but I could I could understand if they were absolutely. You know, if they were yeah. worried that we wouldn't uh, really take to or respect mm-hmm. the ways that they did worship. Um, but the thing is, you know, with 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 the conference, we have to fill out um, some paperwork every year. That's basically our like a profile for the conference to look at for appointments and things like that. And we have to put in that what our worship preference is. Mm-hmm. And I hate that. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna come out and say that. I know why they ask that question. I think yeah. it's an important question to ask. But it just feels so petty to me. Yeah. You know, like. To, to base where you where you serve and things like that around something as as um, simple as you know the style of worship because, and you know so I put every year when I, when I get asked that question I put as long as the people are worshiping earnestly and in the spirit yep I do not care absolutely that's the the most important thing I have been in traditional settings where they've sang hymns and I've absolutely felt the spirit move and I've yeah. absolutely enjoyed it and loved 100%. it and then I've been in contemporary settings where it was dead it felt mm-hmm. like I was walking into a funeral you know so style doesn't automatically equal um, the presence of the spirit I don't think and, and I shouldn't say the presence of the spirit but being moved by the spirit or like you know um, that necessarily it's much less important what you're singing, but how you're singing it. Yeah. Uh, and so there was a, a church I interned at in Lexington. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. Um, they didn't have the most talented musicians. They, they just didn't. But I have never heard a contemporary worship band that sounds better than they did. Mm-hmm. Because with every song and with every lyric and with every chord, they poured their heart and souls in it. It was true 
worship. And so I would take them over Hillsong. I would take them over, you know, Saddleback's worship bands, whatever, because they were truly changed. And you could hear that. Yeah. You could absolutely hear that. And you can hear that in hymns. Yeah. And so it's not like, you know, we just have to get rid of the hymns because they're preventing uh, young people from coming into the church. I think it's the way, it's it's a heart condition, not a yeah. music condition. Absolutely. And like the theology and the heart behind uh, what we sing really matters. And I think hymns and contemporary music both have their place and both have their benefits. Absolutely. For one thing, I found that most hymns tend to have a lot more theological depth mm-hmm. and meat to them than a lot of contemporary worship does. Absolutely. Um, and that's not meant to be a huge stab at contemporary worship. You know, I, I love a lot of, well, I, I love some of what's being put out there. Um, we'll talk more about more about that kind of thing later. Um, but, um, you know, I find there's, a, there's often a lot more theological meat to hymns, you know, and there's a lot there. But if you but if you sing them in a way that's um, that's routine and where you you know mm-hmm. it's just what you've always done and you don't think about that then yeah. then you can miss that absolutely um, you know it's the same way it's the same way with like you know uh, liturgies and mm-hmm. you know responsive readings you know if you um, if you really look at what we're saying together yeah and you really think about it there's a lot of depth there and. A lot of moving things, like just going through um, the great Thanksgiving that we use for communion yes. um, in the Methodist Church, like it rocks my world when I think about the things we're saying. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you say that, you know, once a month, a lot of churches do communion in the Methodist Church. If you, if you say that once a month for your whole life, then eventually it can become routine and you start to yeah. lose um, the meaning of it. Absolutely, um, and you know, contemporary music can be uh, can be more contemplative, and it can be um, it can be uh, more more worshipful. Also, sometimes I don't, don't want to say more worshipful, I guess, but more energetic, maybe. Yeah, this is the word I'm looking for. More energetic. Yeah, um, more uh, charismatic, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, people can really get into worship and lose themselves in worship more, and it's also just music that people are more familiar with. Yes. And you know, when the, most of the hymns were written, that's what they were. Yeah. You know, people don't like guitars and drums in worship today, but you know, when Charles Wesley was writing his hymns, he was putting them to the tunes of bar songs. Exactly. You yeah. know, because that was the music people knew, and that was probably just as controversial then as it is to have drums and guitars today. Yeah, I'm sure. And I think it all goes back to that point um, that we talked about in, in our last little segment. It's, it's not... We have to look at the church from new perspectives. Yeah. You know, and, and what is it that's going to allow us to be, uh, to connect with people that aren't a part of this body? Because, I mean, the, at the end of the day, the church is one of the only institutions that exists solely for the benefit of those that are not a part of it. Amen. And that's that's not my quote. I, I can't remember exactly who said it. Um, but we have to realize that. It's not about us, the people who are sitting in the pews, but it's about us connecting with those people who are outside of us. Yeah. Um, and when you, when you realize that... The worship wars seems much less important. Yeah. And the reality is, you know, having a contemporary worship service is not going to guarantee you that you get a bunch of new new young people in your church. That's very true. That's not how it works. I mean, there are plenty of young people out there who appreciate traditional worship styles. Absolutely. You know, maybe they grew up with a taste of it, or maybe they're just looking for 
that that holiness, that sense mm-hmm. of reverence that seems to come with high church worship. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not looking to go to something that feels like a concert. They want to feel like they are in the presence of God. Absolutely. Um, and so sometimes, you know, traditional worship can appeal to younger people. Yeah. And there's successful churches that do both. Yeah. There's people that sing hymns and have a very traditional worship service that are booming um, with young people. I think of one of one of our professors, Dr. Terry Swan, visits a church in Manhattan, I believe. It's a Presbyterian church. It's super structured, super traditional, and there's more young families there than at any church that he's ever been to, he says. Hmm. And so it's not impossible. It's yeah. absolutely not impossible. And it's also it's also good to to um you know just recognize that you probably have people who like one or the other. Mm-hmm. You know, at Paint Lick we have uh, what I would call a, a blended service where we have we have hymns and we have um, some contemporary songs that are that are led by a, a guy in our church who plays guitar and does an awesome yeah. job leading worship. Um, I've started playing my cajon with him a lot of times, which yeah. is a box drum for those of you who don't know what a cajon is. Um, <laughs> it's not a boom box. It's a cajon. Um, there, there's a difference. Boombox goes on your shoulder. Cajon you sit on and you play play it like a drum. Um, but um, you know that that we we have both because yeah. we have we have young families and we have we have people who um, are are a lot older and have been in this church a lot longer. Yeah. And so you know we try and do things that speak to that speak to everyone. Yeah. You know we want to be able to reach everyone. And make sure that everyone's comfortable there, and um, I think that also provides a space for those who are more comfortable with the contemporary stuff and prefer mm-hmm. the contemporary stuff. They 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 get that, but they still have some hymns. Yeah, and so hopefully that can warm them up to seeing the good side of that. And likewise, those who are more traditional and just like the hymns and don't like contemporary as much, having that contemporary there as well will hopefully help them warm up to that side of worship so that we have, you know, a more rounded experience. Absolutely. I think that's awesome. Because um, at the end of the day, worship isn't about what isn't about you. Yeah. It's not about what you like. It's not about what you want to listen to. Um, it's not about what you get out of it. It's about worshiping God. Absolutely. And we worship God in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's responsive readings or you know, worshiping to guitars and drums and keyboards or whether it's worshiping to pianos and organs or, um, you know, I don't know anything in between, you know, there are all sorts of ways to worship God and they are all, they are all viable. They are all good when we do them earnestly and in the spirit. Absolutely. Amen to that. That's my firm belief. So amen to that. Anybody out there that's dealing with that struggle, that's worried about, one side or the other. Just know, as long as long as you do it well, as long as you do it faithfully, and as long as you your heart and your minds are in the right place, doesn't matter what you're singing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it matters a little bit, but it doesn't matter the style of what you're singing. Yes. I should say. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. There are some songs you probably shouldn't <laughs> sing in church. I don't want to sound like that, but um, you know, it, the the style the style is secondary. Absolutely. Um, to the condition of your heart when you come into worship. Absolutely. Well, with that, we're going to go ahead and begin our wrap-up, and I'm going to say a quick prayer for us. Holy God, we come to you, and we thank you that you are aware of us, that you're aware of our presence, that you know us so intimately. We thank you, and we know we're not worthy of this, Father, but we just ask that you will continue to mold and shape us to make us look more like Jesus Christ, that you will open up our minds and realize um, that sometimes it takes new perspectives to reach people that, that aren't yet a part of your kingdom. 
sometimes it takes new perspectives to truly be the church and, and the Christian people that you have called us to be. And so, Father, we ask that you give us that humility um, and that you make us realize that we need help, that we need other people. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, once again, if you have other questions about what it's like to be a young pastor, feel free to send those to us. Um, or any questions or topics that you'd like to see us cover in future podcasts, mm-hmm. be sure to hit us up with that. Um, you can find us on WokePastors.com. That's the main source for Woke Pastors information. Also, search us on Facebook. Like us there. Um, just search Woke Pastors. Instagram and Twitter, at Woke Pastors. And if you're looking for Woke Pastors swag, the place to be is Etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Woke Pastors. Uh, once again, we thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in today. Um, glad that you're here at the Woke Pastors Podcast. We hope that you got something out of it. I know that we really enjoy doing it. Yeah, we do. Um, but until <laughs> next time, uh, we'll just say stay woke. Stay woke. Stay awakened. <laughs>